Hello, Alaska. I'm Pat Race. And I'm Matt Buxton. And you're listening to a podcast about Alaska. In today's episode, we're exploring the power of narrative and the importance stories have in shaping our state policies and identity. Uh, but first, I'm curious, uh, what's been in the news that's caught your eye this past week or so? Well, I believe, um, oh my God, I, <laughs> I've been on I've been on Fairbanks for this last uh, week, so that's the only thing that's been in my mind. Did the special session wrap up this week? I can't remember now. Are you serious? I really, yeah. I honestly, can't, I'm sitting here and I can't, I can't even remember. Yeah. So we, I know it's over. I just can't remember if it ended this week or like a week or ago, a week ago. Yeah, it ended a few days ago and everyone's like high fiving each other and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to me. That was interesting to me because it felt like we had this kind of weird deal with TransCanada that we got into and then everyone's like congratulating themselves for getting out of it. Which I don't know if we should have ever been there in the first place, but yeah, whatever. that was one of those things that I remember even back then. I remember um, when covering the session when it when it passed, and I just never really was very clear as to you know why they were in there because even back then there was this sort of plan to buy them out eventually. So it was like I just none of it made sense to me, to be honest. Yeah, it would, they just get seven percent. So here's here's a bunch of extra money for uh, us taking some risk, which yeah, is kind exactly. of the way we do business. <laughs> It's a, it's fantastic. You yeah. know, I, I don't know why we have anything called a fiscal crisis right now. Yeah, I don't I don't get that either. Yeah. So how about you? I mean, what's going on in uh, in your neck of the woods? I saw there was that great story by the ADN about heroin use down there. Is that something that's been? Yeah, that's been a problem. We uh, I, actually I did a documentary a few years back on um, uh, the this kid who was in a car accident and it was all tied into oxycotton. There's a huge uh, bloom in in oxycontin use in Juneau and it was uh, like everyone in high school was doing it all these all the it it was sort of an upper class uh, tragedy where these very privileged kids were had had this drug that really had no consequences in the immediate present tense and they were selling it to each other and making tons of money and it was something doctors prescribed so it couldn't be that dangerous and uh, what happened is they cracked down on on oxy and uh, eventually heroin became the cheap alternative and cut mm-hmm. to cut to several years later. And that's what's happening now. We've got these 26, 27 year old, uh, you know, kids that are, that are dying from overdosing on heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know my, my dad, um, he recently went through some, had a, a slip disc in his neck over a few years ago. And, and they, they the, the first thing they do is here's your Oxycontin, you know, uh, prescription. And he probably needed, you know, he had chronic nerve pain, but, I, you know, he, my dad's a, a orthodontist, and he, so he has some kind of understanding of the medical field. And he just knew he he basically dealt with a lot of the pain because uh, he didn't want to get addicted to something that powerful. He kind of knew the risks of it, and yeah, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people didn't know the risks. So on to kind of the theme of our episode, which is is narrative. I mean, that's a, actually a really interesting thing, is because the it ties in the drug use is it's kind of this narrative of, of what has happened over the last several years and where we are now and, and where do we take it? And like, how do we define our story? So I guess, um, what I wanted to get into, and you can help keep me grounded here, but what I wanted to get into is, is sort of this idea of narrative and, and storytelling as a way to, uh, influence and change the world around us. Um, and, uh, I guess my first question for you would be like, kind of as a journalist, do you have trouble balancing the desire to tell a good story with, reporting what are straight and boring facts of an event 
Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, I think we, we've talked that we, we've we've discussed uh, the possibility of doing an episode on the Fairbanks Four, which is this case in Alaska's innocence trial about these four young men who uh, were convicted in eight, 1997 uh, of murdering a few teenager. Um, we'll talk about that more in detail later, I think, but you know, that's been really front and center in my um, reporting lately. So, 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 so forgive me. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it now, but yeah, so basically, you know, it's the four teenagers. They're, they're going through the trial right now to be released. And, you know, this, there, there's really this kind of emotional case here. It's a very emotional story, um, with, you know, and when you look at it, um, you know, there's a desire in it's hard with a case like this to, uh, look at it and not form your own opinions about it and to have those influence the reporting. So for example, you know, with this story, the whole, there's been this decades long question of whether or not these guys did it. And, um, I was always really skeptical about it. And I think that changed for me, well, covering the trial more closely, um, just really opened my eyes to it. But it's also been a thing where it's really hard to not let the emotions of the whole situation, because they have a good story, but not to let those emotions override it, because you can easily fall into the realm of trying to write the story that proves their innocence, and that's or, not really my job. Yeah, the one that has like a good ending, or 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 has it, or is more interesting to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you mean, want re- yeah, the you thing with the story is you want resolution. Oh yeah, he's definitely yeah. do. Yeah, and we, they haven't gotten that, and we're not going to get that for a, m- a few months now. So it's it's like what happened with Serial. I, I don't know if you listened to that podcast, yeah. but the the podcast Serial, where she spent a ton of time uh, researching this case, and there really wasn't a resolution that was you know that was satisfying, and so that was interesting because it sort of flew in the face of of what is good narrative. Yeah, and that's something that I I, I think I, I've you know heard a lot of like public storytelling over the years, you know, those kind of sort of events like Mudrooms and Juno. Yeah, I mean, one of those key things with a good story is that something changes by the end of it. And oftentimes in some of those stories, uh, not to not to throw shade at anybody, but, you know, some of those stories people tell don't really have uh, a change or, or a resolution in them. And those are like maybe the least uh, satisfying stories to listen to. So as a journalist, you know, it's our job to tell stories and yeah, there is always a desire to tell a good one, and there's always a difference between a good story and a good news story. So do you try and track down, when you're looking for a story, do you try and track down a story that has like a satisfying narrative to you, or do you try and bring that into the story or, or uncover it? I think, I don't know if I've ever set out to look looking for a story um, that is necessarily a good narrative. I think, um, you know, that's kind of the great thing about Alaska is that you can go and do a story about almost anything. You know, we do these like weekly profiles. And so, um, you know, they start off with, you know, Hey, there's somebody doing something. And then you go and talk to them and you find a great narrative. And that's kind of the great part of reporting is you're finding these narratives in everyday life. You're not necessarily, you know, I'm already committed to the story by the time I'm finding these narratives. And it's just a real treat to be able to work them in. So is there news that's hard for you to report that's important for people to know, but but you can't report it because it just doesn't make a good story? Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think as long as, long as there's news, as long as there's sort of some kind of information. You know, I, I write plenty of boring stories, to be honest. So, you know, a, a good story, um, I, I think... Hmm. I mean, there's plenty of good stories. There's some 
stories that aren't convincing. Um, there's some stories, you know, that's the whole, that's, you know, that's sort of the, the, tr- the, the real kind of core thing of it is we have to tell the truth. And there's plenty of, plenty of great stories. There's, there's, a, there's a, the intersection, though, of great stories and true stories is, you know, a little bit less than that. So, yeah. Well, and you're seeing uh, that a lot on the national level right now where, where everyone's trying to define their own personal narrative uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the presidential elections. And it, what makes a good narrative maybe isn't necessarily true all the time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, that's one of the yeah, totally. And and I feel like on the getting back to like the state level, we have uh we have people trying to define their narrative and struggling to define their narrative, you know, like w- which uh which role do I play um is for these state politicians and and state leaders. Mm-hmm. And uh and and not only are they trying to define their own uh narrative, they're trying to define each others so that they know what they're <laughs> facing off against. It's really interesting to see that push and pull. Yeah, I mean that's something I, I saw this weekend. You know, I, I was there for the um, one of the campaign events for uh, Senator Lisa Mikowski in in Fairbanks, and you know it's a state level thing. But you really did see kind of you know she's defining herself as the person who is fighting back against federal overreach. You know, the kind of hitting some of these really kind of tried and true messages. Um, that we've seen before. Let's look at that a little bit more. What are what yeah. what is the story that you see that she's trying to tell, and why do you think where do you think it comes from? Well, so you know, it's really interesting. Is uh, the story that she's telling at least right now is a very similar story to what um, Senator Begich had last year or two years? Was it last year? Last year, yeah. Was that I'm an Alaskan? Uh, it's important to have an Alaskan in Congress and. Uh, therefore, you know, uh, uh, we need to send a true Alaskan there. And, and, you know, and, and so there's this kind of, it's this Alaskanness. It's this sort of sense of, uh, the best thing to have there is, is, you know, you need, you need a, a politician who will fight for Alaska. And so I think that's the really core thing. Um, you know, I, I think, and, and, uh, you know, it's obviously, She's going to be going up against, you know, probably a, a Tea Party or you know, a more conservative Republican challenge, primary challenger. Uh, we're not really sure who yet, but um, so it's important for her to try to get those bona fides. You know, it's just, yeah. And, so she might know. be anticipating someone from out of state or that hasn't been here long or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you might see another kind of Dan Sullivan, you know, outside quote, you know, just kind of rolling my eyes, but uh, <laughs> just, you know, outside money funded. You know, you have that whole kind of, again, narrative of outside versus inside. This time, instead of a Democrat versus a Republican, you might see a Republican versus a Republican. Yeah. And that's um, that's a really interesting narrative because the as much as we pride ourselves on, you know, like really being Alaskan and, and, and favoring the insiders, we don't necessarily do that. There's a lot of a lot of history in Alaska of of just sort of electing the next guy that comes along uh, without really without really having them ha- have much understanding of where they are or what or who they're representing. I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of Alaskan though? I mean, we yeah. love, we love the next get rich quick scheme, you know, <laughs> like maybe this person's going to bring us a pipeline, you know? And <laughs> yeah, that's our story, I guess. Yeah. Um, so Matt, you're a big fan of wrestling, right? Yes. Okay. So um, I, I was actually listening to a podcast about wrestling 
uh, earlier today. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So this will be right up your alley here. Um, I, I would like you to give me a rundown on some wrestling slang. Like, um, okay. Because there, I think there are these great roles in wrestling, and, and I think that there are parallels that we can draw between wrestling and politics. So um, like a heel. What is a heel? So a heel uh, is kind of the common word for... Um, this the the bad guy, but really not necessarily like the bad. You're not, hmm. Yeah, it's the bad guy, and, and essentially, you know, I think it's it's the bad guy in the story. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the audience is supposed to hate them, or the audience isn't supposed to like them. You can root for a heel, but the heel is sort of you know the archetypal bad guy. You know, they're oftentimes. You know, they always and they this, are. This is the guy with the, the Russians. chair. This is yeah, the guy the, with the chair. Sometimes pulls the chair out from well, the They'll be the, the they'll <laughs> they'll have the chair first, and then okay. the other guy will get him back. But you know, they're they're the guys who cheat. They're the guys who lie. They're the guys who, you know, do dirty tricks to win. And they're the guys who like, uh, you know, they, they some of you know the greatest heels are the ones that kind of come in and actually insult the audience a little bit. You know, and. Uh, and so you can enjoy you can enjoy the bad guy because he's a fictional bad guy. I feel like I do that with politics sometimes. Like I really, uh, and I feel like we all do. I mean, when Murkowski was governor, I sort of reveled in how awful it got. You know, he's like buying himself <laughs> jets and and appointing he appointed his daughter to the Senate, and it's mm-hmm. it's just this really interesting thing where you you kind of come to love someone for for being for playing their role so well. Well, and that's actually, you know, so I, one of my favorite, like, historical politicians to look back at is actually Nixon, Richard, Richard Nixon. He's just oh, great. Yeah. Like, he is such a bad guy. And um, and part of it is he's unvarnished a little bit. You know, he's totally kind of, he does not as polished. He cussed, he swore. And actually, you know, and I, I don't have a ton of experience with Anchorage um, politics, uh, local politics there, but... My few run-ins with uh, Mayor Dan Sullivan from there was kind of fun. Like, he was not, he was totally kind of, um, you know, sort of a... um rough around the edges, I guess. You know, he was the kind of guy, he gave me, he called me up after I wrote a story and kind of um, chewed me up for getting something not quite right. And But then he sat down and talked to me, and he kind of talked to me bluntly about why there was this unpopular policy. I think it was around the the labor stuff. And... um, you could really kind of you could kind of respect. Uh, I will I will I'll hold back from calling anybody a villain, but you can you can really respect these kind of heels, you know, that in in our in our own personal narrative, who and it's you it's really about as a bad guy or something like that. It's about like perspective, that, yeah. though, too. It's like about perspective. Like he, like my friends might not agree with his policies, and so he's cast in this role of the villain. But mm-hmm. but the, my only interaction with Dan Sullivan was uh, I was filming a thing for my satire show, my satire series. And I kind of grabbed him and I had a camera and he just rolled with it. And he was so, he was so game to be a part of this thing. He had no idea what we were doing, but he was just like into it. And, and he was a good sport about it. And so you have to kind of like respect that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. We, we do need to talk about the counterpart of the heel, which is the face. You know, these are the, the faces are baby. It's the term comes from baby face. These are guys who are kind of the the predestined good guys, 
and the you know the most kind of one that comes to the most people's mind is John Cena, and he's actually despite his quality as a wrestler, he's actually one of the least like least popular guys because he is the superhero because he because he is always the good guy. He's the Superman character who never loses and you know, loves America, and you you kind of you revel in his failure. Yeah, you want to see him be brought down, and we do that yeah. again in politics. That's so exactly. what. Who in Alaska politics plays that role? Is our heel? Is our face? Yeah, who's our face? Who's like this like good, golden, uh, well-meaning politician that just gets torn down, and oh, and people re- like love it? Hmm. Is that like a hall? Is that like a Hollis French? I, a little bit. Is he yeah. kind of like the good guy that just like can't get a break? Yeah, he's the face, know. but he's the face you can root for because he's always losing. I think. He's, so he's like the good guy that can't catch a break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see who would be. Yeah, your your face who you don't like. Hmm. I'll have to come back. I'll keep that in mind. Let me think about that a little bit. Okay. So, so you've got the, so that's kind of good and evil. Like that's pretty simple. Are there yeah. more complicated roles? Yeah, and and so uh, of course there's and so you you also have tiers of of competitors. You have the main eventers, you have mid card, you have low carders. You've got um, your jobbers. You've got wait, what's a jobber? A jobber is so that someone who loses on purpose. Basically, they make uh, other people look good. You put them up to look good. You know, to they, you're, they're sort of intended to lose, but they do it in style. That's like uh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so is a jobber like a Scott McAdams, like the guy that the the Democrats throw up against someone like Murkowski that they oh. just really don't have any faith in? Or oh, he's so, yeah, he's he's such a good one too, and he does it convincingly too. That's the whole thing with the jobber is that they have to kind of they look they by being there and by losing they they by their performance make somebody else look that much better. Yeah, and so one of the really famous things is uh, Scott McAdams is. I, from I don't know I've never met him I've heard he's a pretty nice guy yeah he's a great guy but you know he shows up to I think Fairbanks and he calls it Kodiak you know, he, he, he slips up the name in, in one of it welcome you know hello Anchorage and he's in Fairbanks there's nothing nothing that you know you could uh, do to um, make people want to look somewhere else in Fairbanks than that and so yeah, he's, he's a bit of a jobber yeah so he's you know and so he put one over. But if you're but if you're good like in politics if you're good at being a jobber then you get called back and you get a different role like maybe you get you get a chance to win yeah so they put them yeah so that's the whole thing in wrestling too is people have they they can have changes they have turns you know they go from being uh, a hero to a heel they go from being a nobody to a main eventer you know it all changes and so you have so it's a big thing too is turns and those are these great moments in wrestling when you have uh you're in the ring and you have the two best buddies and they've they're both faces and they've been just going up against the bad guys forever and one of them turns on the other one and it's a jealousy thing and they they you know beats him up and then you know now he's all of a sudden a heel and so you look at you know the i guess maybe the most famous example of that might be um you know, uh, um, um, Representative uh, Lindsey Holmes, you know, going from a Democrat uh, yeah. to a Republican, you know, it was yeah. a total turn. And, you know, mm. and it was, it was, you know, in, in, in wrestling terms, if you really want to look at the, uh, you know, wrestling is always about underdogs and, and, and the authority kind of, and, you know, it was, she was the plucky, you know, face, baby face, you know, and she said, damn it, I want to, I want to have a seat on the committee that matters. And she turned heel. 
That's interesting. Yeah. And her, <laughs> her constituents were unhappy about that. Yeah. And they booed yeah. her. But, you know, yeah. for some other people who are watching it or watching politics in the same way you watch wrestling, which is kind of an enjoyment of the entire story of the narrative, you know, like a journalist or a commentator might do it. That was fun. That was a fun thing to watch. It might, well, yeah. might not have been great for her constituents or her fans, but uh, it was really it was very interesting. And, and I almost feel like I almost feel like we as um, we as citizens, we as consumers of the news, like are looking for that in our stories. Like we're yeah. looking we're looking for the the feud and we're looking for the 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 fallen star, you know, the the, the fallen face. Mm-hmm. OK, so wrestling is fictional. Politics and mm-hmm. policy is real it's real i think isn't it i don't know you probably know better than i do (laughs) um but what bridges that gap like we're talking about these these we have these narrative um like shorthands for these wrestlers and and i feel like we have the same thing they maybe don't have the same labels but we have the same shorthand for politicians like uh how do we avoid falling into that and it's actually a really interesting kind of dialogue that's sort of so um I don't know if you saw it earlier this week in the US Senate there was that um the uh the young oh let me look this up real quick. Okay, sorry, excuse me. He was he's the freshman senator from uh, Nebraska where I went to uh college. Um uh, Benjamin Sass. And what was so good about him is that he said um Conflict is okay. It's okay for us to disagree, but what we need to really do is begin to argue on the facts. You know, argue the, the facts. So a lot of facts can't be up for debate. You know, and that's kind of how facts work. But that's not how politics has worked for you know the last ten, twenty years, where you have this kind of very divisive partisanship. And I can't remember what point you had been asking earlier now. But well, actually, they, actually, what you said is it ties into what I'm what I've been talking about with this whole. Uh, episode is that um, this guy is arguing that we should he's saying that we should argue facts and what we've mm-hmm. what I feel that we do more is argue narrative and so we're we're more interested in arguing our particular version of a narrative than we are in in really deciding what the truth is of a situation and then coming to a conclusion based on that okay okay wait 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 um, this is Pat from the future you can probably tell because there's space noises in the background. I'm not not in your future. I'm in the future from when this was recorded. I'm in I'm in my present, I guess, and and the and your past. None of that matters. What I wanted to point out, I'm using the narrative I have constructed instead of facts to argue that we use narrative instead of facts in our arguments, which I think really reinforces my point in in kind of a hypocritical way. I'm just going to rewind. You can listen to it yourself. This guy is arguing that we should, he's saying that we should argue facts. And what we've, what I feel that we do more is argue narrative. And so we're, we're more interested in arguing our particular version of a narrative than we are in, in really deciding what the truth is of a situation and then coming to a conclusion based on that. And so, so I guess it's this, this idea that the narrative can can help us in that it can help sway opinion but it can hurt us in that it can we can be trapped in our own narrative yeah and it prevents people from working together when they actually do agree or it prevents them from ever um 
finding, you know, changing opinion, you know, they get locked into it. Absolutely. I can think of a great example of that on the state level is that, um, so Governor Walker last week put out his, uh, it was like a preliminary fiscal proposal that basically overhauls the, the way that the state does business, this, the, the way the state takes uh, in income um, and spends it. And uh, he put out this proposal and immediately uh, Senate President Meyer uh, said, you know, his plan is awful. Our plan is the one. And and my reaction was, like, wait, what? You guys have a plan? And... <laughs> <laughs> and I actually seen this. Yeah, I've seen you. I've seen these little back and forth on Twitter. I'd yeah, be yeah, it's yeah. fascinating to me. And all of a sudden, they're kind of like retroactively have have backed up this um, bit of legislation that uh, Lisa McGuire put together. That's so similar to to Walker's piece of legislation that they're basically on the same page. And the only thing they need to do is like haggle out some numbers. And it's yeah. it's really funny though that it's like no he's wrong ours is right and it, <laughs> but and so they're they're fighting narrative rather than just like sitting down and like hammering out like oh this should be fifty percent instead of seventy five percent. Well, and the thing that Sass, Sassy said that I think is really interesting is that that fighting of narrative is much better for winning elections. You know, it's much better when it's a us versus them. You know, he said you know taking the, the, these kind of actual. Um, fact-based arguments ends us up with taking sometimes taking positions that you can't re- win re-election on. But that's not his argument is that that's not what how, that's not how democracy should work. You know, that's a representative democracy should work. You know that that um, that you're not becoming like a career politician or a king or something like that. So yeah, so that will be it'll be really interesting to see if they come back to you know. But that's the whole thing is I I saw you asking them. So what is your policy? And they linked to that bill. And so will they stick to that or because like you said, you know, they're totally on the same page, but they're that's not good politics, you know. Yeah, but it's not not good uh, current form of politics. Well, and then and then Nat's story this week about people who have made pledges was really interesting. Um, there's. There are a number of politicians, including one here in Juneau, who have uh, pledged to not introduce taxes, which may be one of the important measures that needs to be taken care of on a state level. And so it's, I mean, so those people are trapped in an interesting narrative battle of um, are you uh, an oath breaker or are you solving a problem? You know, like how do you spin that so that you're allowed out of a commitment? Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know how, I mean, I, I, I don't it's so, getting into those kind of agreements seems so short-sighted to me as a politician but I don't know maybe that's just me maybe that's why I'm not a politician yeah <laughs> okay well I think it's maybe it's time for some poetry yeah sounds good <clears throat> is this a haiku right yeah I think this is a haiku yeah okay <laughs> uh so this haiku is you know from Cindy Smith it's uh posted on the afternoon of November 6th um and just captures, I think... Uh, well, okay, I'll just, read, I'll just read it. Wet and cold outside, the dogs asleep in a chair, dreaming of summer. I like that one. That's good. Yeah, I really like it. I, I think um, as somebody who is a uh, dog lover um, to sometimes a, a, a troubling level... Um, I the, the 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 dog is sleeping in the chair is just a fantastic especially like a fall kind of inside the house kind of sort of thing. 
Yeah, I like. I miss, that. My, I've been I miss a lot, my family's dogs. I've been having a lot of rain and hot chocolate days lately, so that's yeah. it. Really resonates with me. I'm, I'm worried ever... about your d- disturbing dog uh, <laughs> fetish. I, just, I was not a fetish. It's just, oh. uh, it's just a if if there's a really good dog on the corner of the road, I might slow down and maybe circle around the block. Oh, okay, just to get another look of it. Did Dogs you ever are... have a dog? Do you ever have a pet growing up? Oh yeah, yeah. I had I had a great dog. I had like a mutt lab. Uh, I got to name the dog myself when I was very mm-hmm. young, and so we, so I named it Saggy Baggy. And, uh, after after the saggy baggy <laughs> elephant which was one of my favorite children's books oh that's um, good yeah and that dog and i got along pretty well for a long yeah. time yeah yeah dogs are great we we had a, a rottweiler a very um uh she was she ended up quite big we ended up leaving her one summer because we with a with a family member and she had a, a very luscious meal or very decadent meals, steak and all that sort of stuff, and she kind of never put it off. But anyway, so, um, but so she's imagine like a very large Rottweiler dog, um, mm-hmm. and uh, her name was Tina, and her she had changed names as as a, throughout her life. Uh, she was originally Shiva. Um, the next owners after that called her Tiva, and we named her Tina. Surprisingly, um, I asked my parents later how they got this name, and it was Tina um, from The Mask, uh, Carmen Diaz's uh, bombshell character. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> this big old Rottweiler named Tina. All right. Well, I don't think we have any emails yet, so we can skip our uh, our emails. But if anyone wants to uh, write in to the show, uh, you can reach uh, me and Matt here at uh, heyguys at helloalaska.pizza. Uh, and you can find uh, old episodes and uh, other new episodes and new episodes, episodes. And who knows what else we will put there. But uh, we have a website. HelloAlaska.pizza is where you can find us. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the show. We like to end on a, a thing. We like to end on an up note. So we, we're uh, going to do kind of the good news. Like what's uh, what's good that's going on around Alaska or what's something that's uh, what's something that someone is doing that's exciting. So I have to do a little self promotion on this one, or well, not self promotion, but I guess in house promotion. What is awesome? Miner. What is awesome about Alaska? Me. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, the news miner. Uh, I haven't been. I haven't been super involved in this yet. But the news miner um, got into a partnership uh, with Rasmussen to do uh, a year long of reporting on alcohol. And the whole idea that that they came to us with is that basically we're tired. We're done we know we have a problem we don't need to document the problem and anymore you know doing mm-hmm. going to some village to to document you know and to kind of in some ways exploit you know the, the real pain that is in this community right uh, tell a story where they came to us and said we want a solutions based uh series of stories and we said we'd love to do that and so um the, uh my colleague and roommate and friend um, just finished up a three a large three piece series about um, al- uh, uh, alcohol consumption among minors, and it broke down into uh, prevention and um, uh, intervention and treatment. And um, it, it's great; it's just a really refreshing look at it. I, I encourage everybody to take a look at it. <laughs> you can find it at newsminer dot com. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just a, it's a look at what what can actually be what's being done what can be done and what what is you know what is being what is truly being done to fight this problem because we know we hear we know we have a problem with it we know we have a problem with uh alcohol we know a problem with suicide domestic abuse and 
you know, raising, you know, there, there's, there's, there's definitely value in raising awareness on it, but at some point, you know, these have been long lasting problems and to see, um, an effort, uh, to focus on solutions, to really fix them, to really look at what other people are doing well and what can be done here. I think it's just really refreshing to a lot of people. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. I, uh, I, I hope you're asking, I, I feel like the, the subjects of these kind of, of this kind of reporting don't often get consulted. And I, I just hope that you, you ask some of these people that, that are struggling with these problems, what solutions they have in mind, because a lot of times they've put more thought into it than anyone else has. Yeah. Well, that's what you find. What is so interesting with a lot of the stories is that the, the caregivers, you know, the people who are leading the, the recovery centers, the treatment centers are, have, they're the worst personal demons of anybody, you know, and, and they, they're recovering alcoholics and for them it is a daily challenge and um, they're the one, yeah, they're the ones who know. And that's, I think that's what is so good about it. And I think that's what it's really refreshing in a lot. You see it now, I think in this administration and in a lot of other sort of places is this sense of the state doesn't necessarily know the best. And, and, you know, we can ask these communities what they need. And I think that that was a really touching thing you saw, uh, I think that was an important message from Governor Walker right after the suicides earlier this year, um, especially around AFN. At, at AFN, it was, you know, we'll, we'll support these communities, um, but, you know, he acknowledged that parachuting in with the, you know, state of Alaska TM branded manual policy of how to solve suicide is not, you know, that's not what people are looking for. And people are looking for the support, um, to, to be able to implement the ideas that they know. And so if the state, you know, the, if the state can take that approach with it, I think there's a lot of good that can be done because, you know, there's, you know, you, you'll, you'll never solve, you know, a little community's problems with alcohol in Fairbanks or Anchorage, you know, it's got to be on the local level. Yeah. So, anyway, that's 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 taking my my well, hat. Well, that was my, light. My, that was light solutions. and fluffy. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> that, was, that was upbeat. All right, cool. <laughs> no, but I I, I do so, think it's great that you guys are doing that, and I'll, I will I will check it out. Um, the uh, the the good news I have from around Alaska is uh, uh, Marion showed me this thing today. The uh, Cordova Book Brigade. I don't know if you caught that video, but it's they moved the uh, the books from the Cordova Library uh, kind of up and over a block. And there's this line of about a hundred people just uh, firelining the books into the other building, and it is oh, that's great. it is great. It's just like a little you know one minute video clip, but it totally made my day. Uh, watching the community, you know, like all, having all these different people come together from around the community, and then having them do something constructive for the community was just that was really beautiful. <laughs> and then I actually have one other thing that I, I think we can go out on is that I uh, I went to an amazing concert. Uh, my friend George Kuhar as a musician here in Juneau and he is uh, doing incredibly creative, um, beautiful music. And uh, he plays music with his wife, Bridget, and a whole bunch of other local artists. And it was such a unique and uh, special experience, uh, I think, for everyone that was there. And I just wanted to go out on some of his music. So uh, here we go. We'll see you next time. Goodbye, Alaska. Trip room.
Thank you.